0: section 92 of the catholics ready answer this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org recording by tatiana Chichilla, columbus ohio the catholics ready answer by reverend m p hill spontaneous generation an argument there was a time when no living thing plant or animal existed on the earth therefore when living things appeared they must have been evolved out of non-living matter the organic must have grown out of the inorganic the answer to the extreme evolutionist the above argument seems conclusive but only because he assumes as true two things that have never been proved to wit that creation is inadmissible and that evolution is the all-sufficient explanation of all phenomena let us see if we can give the reader a fair idea of the bearings of the question and of its importance to the christian apologist It is a matter of common knowledge that most living things with which we are familiar come, either directly or indirectly, from other living things. A chicken is produced from an egg which was laid by another chicken. An oak grows from an acorn which once grew on another oak. Life is derived from life. Neither chickens nor oaks are produced from stones. Now this is the same thing as saying that organic matter is not produced by inorganic. Organic is the same as living matter. Inorganic is inanimate matter. The two are widely apart in respect to origin structure, and mode of action. Everything that has life, every plant, every animal, has a structure that makes it essentially different from a stone, a mineral, or a clod of earth. It has organs, that is to say, parts which are adapted, each in its own way, to the performance of certain functions. A human being, for instance, has organs of sight, hearing, and smell, as well as a heart, lungs, and digestive organs. The way in which living things grow and develop is also peculiar they have a way of building themselves up out of small beginnings and this they do by the action of an inherent vital principle which enables them to take to themselves even inorganic matter and convert it into their own substance beginning with a mere speck a cell they put forth other cells and form a cellular tissue and are finally developed into the perfect plant or animal the developing power in each case does not work at haphazard and produce now one thing now another at one time a rose bush at another an apple tree each germ produces invariably one distinct species of living being and always the same species from which it itself has sprung all these characteristics of organic beings mark them off as quite distinct from inorganic such is the nature and such the mode of action of the living beings known to man but is there no exception to the rule are not certain well-known living creatures produced spontaneously by dead matter down to a century or two ago there was a universal belief that decayed animal or vegetable matter had the power under certain conditions, of producing, without germ, cell, egg, or anything of the kind, certain living beings, of which specimens could be seen in decayed meat or cheese. The revelations of the microscope erected this popular belief into something more than a belief with many scientists of the last century. At last, the whole scientific world was set agog by the question whether at least certain forms of life could not be produced from inorganic matter. A brilliant series of experiments threw some light on the subject, but failed to convince one way or the other. At last, Pasteur entered the field. He was persuaded that the animalcules produced by dead matter were formed from germs derived from the atmosphere, which germs had, of course, been produced by living creatures. The experiments he set on foot must be numbered among the triumphs of modern science. They had this result that spontaneous generation was henceforth regarded as a myth. The animalcules found in dead matter were found to be hatched from germs conveyed through the atmosphere. Even Huxley, in summing up the results of these investigations, says, For my own part, I conceive that, with the particulars of Monsieur Pasteur's experiments before us, we cannot fail to arrive at his conclusions, and that the doctrine of spontaneous generation has received a final coup de grace. On the origin of species, page 79. That was one phase of the controversy, but in our day we have to deal with another. Extreme evolutionists are naturally interested in the subject. Without spontaneous generation evolution, as they conceive it, would have been an impossibility, They hold that all life, including the intellectual life of man, has been evolved out of inorganic matter. Ignoring creation, they believe that all things have been evolved from the simplest inorganic elements by the laws of matter. They hold with most scientists that at a certain period, when the earth was in an igneous state, no living thing could have existed upon it. Therefore, they conclude, life, when it first appeared, must have sprung from inanimate matter. Of late years, a hypothesis has been started, which attempts to account for the existence of life on the earth by supposing that in some remote age the Earth received organic germs from some other planet. Now, apart from the consideration that, in all probability, life would have been as little possible on any other planet as on ours, and the further consideration that to shift the more immediate origin of life from our planet to another is not to settle the main question, namely, whether life can spring from inanimate matter, the hypothesis in question need not, and in fact does not, affect the position of the extreme evolutionist, who takes such high ground as to make it unnecessary to stoop to the consideration of any fact or of any hypothesis, militating against his pet theory. He is wedded to universal evolution, and universal evolution postulates spontaneous generation, for otherwise it would be impossible to account for the appearance of life on the earth. Neither science nor common experience gives him any encouragement, but it does not matter. Evolution is a fact, therefore spontaneous generation is a fact." huxley though apparently rejoicing at the results of Pasteur's experiments saw that spontaneous generation was necessarily involved in the evolution theory to which he clung and that to accept one was to accept the other so he accepted both evolutionists of this type should naturally be disheartened in their attempt to bridge over the gap between living and non-living matter without admitting a creator but they have a way of keeping up their courage they make the most devout acts of faith in universal evolution and to faith is added hope and hope imparts a sort of mental exaltation which expresses itself in words of prophecy this unscientific state of mind they exhibit both in their books and in their popular lectures and they do so in many cases with all the more assurance as they know that their words will be taken by many as uttered in the name of science a word of magic power in our day with evolutionists of the hekelian type it is a matter of reckless and triumphant assertion those of the huxley pattern it is a matter of cool-headed but confident philosophical faith based on analogy When a man of Huxley's knowledge and acumen makes an act of what he calls philosophical faith and rests his faith on what he calls analogy, he is presumed to attach a definite meaning to his words. What manner of analogy, then, can furnish a basis for his faith in spontaneous generation? He must be thinking of the analogy presented by the general course of evolution. But what has evolution to show? Not a single species of any kind is proved conclusively to have been derived from any other species. Within certain limits, there may have been an evolution of species, but what appeal to evolution can be made in the present state of science? One thing is certain, that the production of life on this earth, which we Christians know by revelation to have been the work of a creator, has not been accounted for in any way that enables us to dispense with the creative act. We are not in the least inclined to ignore the investigations of recent years. We can only wish them Godspeed, though it must be said that they have made no progress toward the solution of the question, so far as it can be said to be a question at all some years ago professor burke of cambridge made a number of experiments on the action of radium on solutions of beef gelatin he succeeded in producing what seemed to be veritable living cells there was an immediate sensation the men of science approached to get a near view of the new arrivals but their expectations were sadly disappointed the supposed living cells could not be shown to have any more than the semblance of cells and their counterfeit character was given an ingenious and no less probable explanation by Sir William Eamesay of University College, London. Another striking set of experiments was that of Professor Loeb of the University of California. The professor actually succeeded in producing life. But how? By producing the larvae of certain animals by artificial means from unfertilized eggs. He produced living things, but he had the eggs to start with, which, of course, is not analogous to spontaneous generation. Besides, it is a well-known fact that the same process takes place in nature in the case of bees and ants to return to the argument in favor of spontaneous generation placed at the head of this article it does not follow that because life appeared where it had not existed before it must have arisen spontaneously from inorganic matter there was the alternative of creation and there is nothing in science to disprove either the fact or the possibility of creation rather there is much to prove its necessity let the earth bring forth a living creature in its kind this is the only positive account we possess of the origin of life on this earth it is vouched for by the authority of the creator himself and it will never be proved to be false by anything which human science can bring against it. End of section 92. Recording by Tatiana Chichilla, Columbus, Ohio.